My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. A property manager can make a massive difference as to preventing stress and improving your returns and making the whole experience good. And I think it's actually the biggest difference that has people go from one property to many properties. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're talking to the Managing Director of Investors Edge Real Estate, Jared Mann. He has found success from the start of his property investment journey and will share how he made an $85,000 profit from his first deal as well as hear about how a good property manager experience changed his world outlook. Mann has been building up Investors Edge real estate since 2008 and now he and his team are smashing the property game in Perth. We're a Perth-based property management and investment agency and we're looking after about 850 properties across the whole of Perth. So we're in 200 odd suburbs and I've got a really great team of 15 staff um, that allows me to focus on selling properties for our clients so I don't have any sort of day-to-day involvement in the property management side but I obviously oversee it and make sure we're delivering a high level of service and um, when our clients decide to sell I more discuss strategy and whether it's the right time. I spend half my time talking clients out of selling because um, you know (laughs) I I really make sure they've got a good reason to and uh, if the if they've got a sound investment and uh, all the uh, fundamentals are looking good and it's heading the right direction why would you get out when you know the Perth market's got some very good years ahead. If the Perth property market is expected to have some good years ahead why do investors want to sell their properties? I guess in Perth, many investors have been through a pretty rough time over the last four or five years. So they haven't seen the growth uh, up until recently and they've they had their rental prices drop by a fair bit too. So they weren't getting the ongoing rental returns that they used to be. Thankfully, rental prices are now back at where they were uh, four years ago. So we just hit the mark this month at 480 per week average median and um, and you know they, they're quite scarred from going through that roller coaster of, um, of having the market dip. So as soon as it gets back to a price where they're above what uh, you know where they previously were at, many of them just think, okay, now's my point to to move move on. but 
they haven't, uh, you know, they're not used to thinking longer term. They, you see it time and time again that investors get out right when uh, when the market's about to to boom. So the the reasons are different, and I make sure if, if they're going to sell and then buy again in the same market, or they want to upgrade their home, then that's a really great reason to I think. If they've had an underperforming asset and it's likely to not turn around and do good things over the next 10 years, then I think that's a good reason to, you know, potentially sell now when they when they can. Um, you know, when a market's soft, it's hard to sell a property that's on a on a busy road or, you know, in the direct flight path or has some big negatives to it. And and those negatives might have affected the growth and rentability during the softer times. As well as guiding his clients in the right direction, Mahan also spends his time producing a podcast. I also have a podcast, uh, Perth Property Insider, and that keeps me busy. Love, um, you know, putting episodes together. And as you'd know from running a podcast, it's um, I use it to, you know, get really great guests on that I want to learn from, as well as uh, you know, <laughs> all my listeners. Um, so I have a lot of fun doing that, and kind of set things up to have a really great work-life balance so I I take Fridays off to spend with my three-year-old daughter and uh, you know we have go to gymnastics and um, have daddy-daughter day we call it so it's really great to be able to choose where I spend my time now and uh, it's not all about making money or um, working so. For Man, quality time with his family is important and is how he chooses to start his day. I guess I uh, get up and spend the mornings with uh, my daughter so we go for a walk around the block with the dog Uh, she walks the dog and I make sure they both don't run off the path (laughs) we go to the playground go to the cafe um, and I usually get into work at about 9 30 10 o'clock and I just cherish that time um, again and then Fridays we spend together on the weekends, it's been lots of family. I, I tend to do um, two or three hours of home opens on a Saturday and condense that together. And I enjoy the breakup because she um, still s- sleeps during the day from 12 o'clock till three. Um, not looking forward to when those naps stop, Tyrone. <laughs> but, uh, but that's our time at the moment. So we're hanging on to it and trying to keep the routine. But then uh, we go out for breakfast on a Sunday usually and, you know, we used to travel a lot. So in her first year of um, being alive, we went to Bali a few times and did a lot of uh, down south trips and stuff. But obviously that was a lot harder with COVID. So now that things are opening up again, we've got a trip booked to go to New Zealand in uh, end of May. So um, my dad's families from there and um, they've never met Lexi, uh, our daughter or my wife. So I think it's going to be a a really great, meaningful trip for us to, you know, go and um, get some reconnect with family that they've never met. So yeah, looking forward to that. Although Mine's dad is from New Zealand, that is not where he grew up. So my dad was over on a holiday and met my mum on Rottnest Island and then he never went back. So they... um, they started a family here and they uh, were in a working class suburb of Greenwood, which is in Perth, uh, Western Australia. And my dad, he had his own business as a civil engineer 
And I just remember him working crazy hours and he, he definitely loved what he did and he was trying to get ahead and I can see how he was trying to do all of that for the family. But the impression and what I was left with that he wasn't around much and that's why I'm trying to spend so much time with my daughter and to, you know, have her feel my presence. So that's been really a really big inspiration. But I know he was trying to do it for the family, but it it also, you know, affected us all because he wasn't there. Mine's upbringing is what initially fueled him to live a life like he does now. My parents did seem to struggle with money as well and didn't seem to be very good at saving things and, you know, a lot of that burning desire that I now have sort of comes from those experiences where, you know, I'd be at school and I've got a Vegemite sandwich and an apple and my friends can buy lunch every day at the canteen, you know, simple things. But, you know, when you're six or seven years old, it sticks with you. Um, So I went to a a public primary school and, uh, and high school in Greenwood. So my whole world was in Greenwood. And for the first 11 years, I never really enjoyed school much and I'd get distracted by trying to impress girls and clowning around with my friends and you know it just school wasn't really for me even though I had you know a reasonable aptitude for it Um, but just never really found my groove so in year 11 I was told that my grades weren't good enough to do tertiary entrance exams and I had to take that report card home to my parents and uh (laughs) my parents didn't really know how bad things were going and my dad lost his mind and you know was kind of like well I I work hard and send you to school and you know you're not work you know I expect expects me to work hard and and so he marched me down to the school and demanded that they put me in the top subjects to do you know all of the the higher um qualifying um you know, professions. So I felt an immense pressure at that time um, to perform and the school agreed and on the proviso that as long, if I got a B grades or better at the end of the first term, they would allow me to stay in those subjects. And it was pretty daunting because I hadn't done the work and got the grades to, you know, that point. And I ended up sort of forcing myself to focus and study for four to five hours each night and and I learned like the benefit of the hard work and that it was possible, you know, to turn it around. As well as seeing the reward of his hard work, Man found motivation another way. I started to get a real buzz from beating all the, the smart nerdy kids. <laughs> so I just found the competition in it and they were like shocked that who's this guy, you know, that's been the back of the class clown for... 11 years is now beating us at, you know, getting the top grades in the class. So that really fueled me on and gave me the motivation at that time because I still wasn't really enjoying the subjects or or anything. So I actually went on to receive Ducks of the School, which um, so in an 18-month turnaround was like they said it was the biggest turnaround the school had ever seen when they were giving me the award. So that was a pretty proud moment, yeah. His dad was also very proud of the way that he turned his grades around. He was exceptionally proud and, you know, but I was still sort of really trying to prove myself to them and a lot of the things I did probably for the next 10 years was 
out of that, you know, trying to gain approval for, you know, of of their acceptance and, and for them to be proud of me. So it took me quite a while to get out of that pattern, to be honest, Tyrone. And lots of personal development. <laughs> After receiving ducks at the school, Man had the freedom to choose any university course he desired. I had the grades to get into pretty much any course that I, I could have gone and done doctor, been a doctor or been a dentist, been an accountant. They were kind of all the things that my parents wanted me to be. And with my dad being an engineer, I kind of didn't choose my course by what I necessarily loved or wanted to do. I just did the process of elimination. So I was like, nah, I, I can't handle the sight of blood, so I won't be a doctor. I don't want to look in people's mouths all day, so forget the dentistry. You know, I don't like, uh, I can't imagine numbers that uh, being an accountant full-time, that's just too boring for me. So I, I landed on engineering um, not because it was my absolute love but because I had the grades for it. I kind of wanted to make use of the grades and it was the thing that I liked the most of everything. So, and, and I think there was a bit of that me trying to prove myself and following my dad's footsteps of him being an engineer too. So for want of knowing what else to do, that's what I did. <laughs> Despite him not having an absolute love for engineering, people seemed to love Man as an engineer. I ended up doing electrical engineering and um, once I graduated, I went and did a grad program with our sort of main utility power supplier here in Perth and that was a fabulous experience because they were they transferred you around every six months to the different business sectors and, and we were in a boom time then so the the level of projects that we got to work on were just massive because they didn't have anyone else to do the work. So I was getting in, going in as a graduate and managing, you know, multi, multi-million dollar projects and having a great time. And I ended up, you know, being very successful and awarded um, during that period too. So I could have stayed in engineering Um and I had a different way of going about things. So like whenever I ran a project, I used to get everyone together and connect at a, you know, for a big lunch and, and get them all on the same page. And when I was designing stuff, I'd go and chat to the guys that are actually in the field that would have to install it and get their input. And then I'd go chat to the senior engineer, the old grey guy, and get his input on, you know, how this should be designed. And then I'd speak to the commissioning people. I basically just went and cheated my way through a project but in the real world that's how you you know create something that people want this management style worked great for man because why would you change something when it's working that's what taught me a lot and that sort of pattern has stayed with me because when it came to then the jobs being issued the site guys taking one look at it decided to prioritize my job over everyone else's because it was the way that they wanted it to be. <laughs> the, engine, the, the senior engineers were like, Jared, this design's the best thing we've ever seen. And yes, it was because it was inspired by you. <laughs> so yeah, it was, a, it was a recipe for the fast track. <laughs> and then um, one of my moments before I ended up leaving engineering, I, I pulled off this massive project and the, the CEO came up to my lunch because I... I because I pulled the project in so far under um, under cost, they said, "Jared, you can organise a big soiree. You can spend what you want, uh, 
And so I, I invited everyone from the project. We were down at the Indiana Tea House overlooking the ocean. I had, you know, custom pens created, you know, um, thanking them for working on that project. And, and the CEO was like, this is the best run project, the best under budget, the best, you know, event that we've ever had. And, and so that was my um, departing uh, moment. Mar was on a career high after this project. So, he had mixed feelings about leaving the engineering field. I didn't close the door straight away to it but I wanted to go and I was doing pretty well in property and I'd sort of made more in one deal than I'd, I'd probably made two or three times the annual salary. So, I thought if I go and focus on property full-time and what could I do with all my time spent on, on property? Coming up after the break, we hear about how Jared Mann found an interest in property. I was given the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, which I know many people had as their turning point. He shares the unusual story of how he bought his first property. One of the, the sellers called us and they'd already left the house and they were like, we've already moved into state, <laughs> you know, what will you pay us for it? He'll detail one of his worst experiences with a tenant. I could tell they should never have even been approved in the first place. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey there. Over the years, I've built up a portfolio of properties and it's been great to see capital growth. But the challenge I face is the passive income has been quite poor, providing a net return of 3 to 4% per annum. I'd have to buy at least 10 properties or more to generate $100,000 per year. Now, if I had the cash to buy these outright, which I didn't, then I need the help of banks and as they wouldn't lend me more, I was stuck. This is when I start looking into alternative investments where I could use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns and fast track my passive income goal. In a short space of 2 years, I've been able to achieve this goal and have tripled my passive income instead. Now, if you want to learn more on how I did this, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-31-32 and I'll send you a free report explaining how I did it. At only 16 years old, Man took an interest in property and while immersing himself in information, he fell down a rabbit hole. I was given the book Rich Dad Poor Dad which I know many people had as their turning point but I got it when I was 16 and it did change my whole thinking on what was possible and that I, I tried to follow Rich Dad's advice instead of my uh, poor dad. <laughs> so I related to the, uh, to the kid in that and, um, and it was like uh, Alice discovering a wonderland, you know, like... I just went so deep into it and even when I was at university, I'd spend my time reading more property books and, and going to property seminars and other things than I, I did studying. Um, my grades probably suffered a bit but I still ended up um, graduating with first class honours thankfully but <laughs> but that was, that was through hard work as well. After reading countless property books, Man joined the market when he was a fresh university graduate. I didn't have... Uh, you know, the money at the time. Um, so I ended up partnering uh, with my parents. And how that came about is I wrote a little business plan to buy a property, renovate it and sell. And I was trying to get a, a partner to go in, a money partner to go in with me for it. So 
I took this little business plan around to the neighbors in my street that I knew quite well. Um, and yeah, it was, it was interesting because I had one of my next door neighbors put their hand up and say, yeah, Jared, I'll be your money partner. So my parents were then like, show me what is in this uh, business plan, Jared. Like what on earth have you put in here? Um, and then they read it and they didn't realize how serious and keen I'd been on property um, all these years. And they're like, wow, you've actually given this a lot of thought and it's something that you really want to do. And I, was, I had more, I had like the idea, like enough of an idea to get started, but it was the burning desire and the motivation that kind of everyone was seeing in me. So they ended up um, agreeing to, um, you know, go uh, partners with me. And um, we actually ended up doing quite a few subsequent um, deals together. To find a property for Mine's first investment, it was a family effort. What we ended up doing is uh, I dropped, I, I, we were obviously more driven by what we could afford and my parents had never invested in property at all. So there was a big learning curve for them too. You know, they had paid off their house by that stage but had no real desire to invest and hadn't gone into any of that space. So they um, put up the money and um, and I dropped my brother off. Uh, so we organized our finance, obviously, and we, we had a pretty limited budget still because it was what they felt comfortable with. And well, we selected some suburbs in Perth more based on, you know, what we could afford. And I you would drop my brother off who was five years younger than me and on his bike and his his mandate was to drop some flyers in houses that um, looked really bad from the street and needed a renovation. And my flyer was really basic, you know, on our inkjet printer that said, you know, want to sell your property, I'll buy it fast, ready to go, you know, call me, <laughs> call me for a quick answer. <laughs> so it was really simple. Um, and it was how we ended up buying our first two properties actually. So um, it does work and that was in a hot market. So when people want to get out, um, they just, uh, one of the the the, 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 the the sellers called us and they'd already left the house and they were like, we've already moved into state, <laughs> you know, what will you pay us for it? <laughs> so um, we, with my parents, we worked out a bit of a budget for the renovation and on this first one, we came up with a 30,000 budget and we worked backwards from that renovated selling price in the area and we, we factored in a 15% profit. So being an engineer, I love my spreadsheets and um, we did, I did, you know, in it, I did this in a pretty thought out way. So we came up with the amount to offer, which was 189,000. And I thought, oh, I'll make it a bit of a round, uh, not a round number, but a bit of a, an odd number so that they think we've really uh, calculated it out. <laughs> and um, it was accepted. So I was, I was really um, blown away and not sure what to do next. And we, once the property was settled, we, we spent countless hours after work and on the weekends for around four months renovating this house. And it was like blood, sweat and tears into this thing. And I had my younger brother along with us and it was looking back on it, it was really great time to spend as a family, you know, like I got, I, myself and my younger brother learned so many um, great skills that have stuck with us like with painting and landscaping and all the things. We worked out what we can do and what we don't want to do. This first investment property was a massive effort but it did show mine that committing to property full-time was possible. 
It was bloody hard work and some of the best times. And we ended up um, spending 33000 So we were pretty tight on our budget, which was good. And um, we did a lot to the property. So we completely gutted it, did it like a new kitchen, new bathroom, painting, rendering to the front and restored the roof and did new carpets, blinds and landscaping. So, you know, it was a lot that we did um, and it did take a lot of time. So our profit at the end of that one was 85000 four months later. So it was big money like for me at the time, you know, even splitting that 50-50. Um, my first year salary as an engineer was 55000 So I nearly made as much in the four months as I did, you know, in the whole year. We bought it for one eighty nine. yep. And the bank valued it, interestingly enough, I think for two twenty or two thirty. So we'd made we bought pretty well, and then the adding of value definitely helped. And we ended up um, so it was valued at three twenty on um, on completion of our val of our renovation, and we rented it out for three eighty per week. So it was decently, um, you know. Decent profit and decent upside on the rental. Marn used the equity from his first project to take on a second. We used that then for our second little project, which was in another affordable area, Armadale, which is the lower socioeconomic, sort of one of the lowest price suburbs in Perth. So, yeah, I used to be a bit, <laughs> yeah, it's moved up a fair bit. But I used to be pretty worried, uh, you know, going there and working on the weekends and stuff because it was pretty rough, like shopping trolleys around everywhere and, you know, you'd chat to, to the neighbours and I was like, oh, wow, geez, like have I made a mistake in buying this one? <laughs> so that second one we ended up selling um, and we didn't make as much profit. I think we made 42000 off the top of my head and but it was a shorter time period and we didn't do as much so we in, in employed a lot more trades and factored that into the the costing and um, it was still, you know, nice to turn it over. And once learning a bit more about the area and the street, we kind of thought it doesn't make sense to keep keep this one and put up with the other headaches that might come from, from around that area. At this point in time, Man was fairly new to property investment. So, how did he know about equity and how to use it? There was no podcasts. I would go into the um, Perth Library and um, they had a lot of investing books. So none of the other libraries around Perth had them and I would try to find anywhere I could get a book. And it was a lot of the American authors that, um, you know, had a lot of these concepts. So I, I was pretty, as I said, I was like Alice down the you know, the rabbit hole and to Wonderland and any book I could find, I would just consume and get ideas from. And I'm probably not the most creative person myself and I know that now. So in business and property, I I love getting ideas from other people and it takes me back to, you know, that my job as well as an engineer where I went and got all the other ideas from everyone else. So that's kind of what I've done well. Man went on to continue investing in properties. However, after an unfortunate business situation, he had to sell his portfolio and start from scratch. Kind of went on to then do some subdividing and we retained and built the house and that was a lot more lucrative and potentially I should have just stuck with that one recipe because um, what we did uh, on one of our next projects after doing you know quite a few renos, I kind of 
was always, I'm always looking to the next thing and and I wanted to try out a, a number of different scenarios. So um, we purchased this property in High Wycombe for 350000 and we spent, I think, about two hundred on the, the the build at the rear. We renovated the front, and we made. We, we I think our total um, outlay was about six fifty, and we made around one hundred eighty five thousand um, over the twelve to fourteen months of doing that. So it was a much better uh, gain, and we ended up with a new property that that uh, was on the rear and an older one on the front. And uh, at that time, I ended up also selling that property because uh, I've always had a bit of an interplay between my properties and my business. And so starting out the business, um, I sold some properties to put some money in. And then I also had a moment where I bought my business partner out um, in 2015. So I sold some properties to well, I actually sold all of my properties in 2015 to buy her out. So I was never expecting to have to do that. Um, we had one disagreement and it was our first disagreement and we ended up, she ended up wanting to leave the business. So it was a real shock at the time to have to come up with one and a half million dollars. Having to come up with $1.5 million quickly was a shock for Man. But this was not his first time being shocked when it comes to property. I want to go back to, to one of these first ones because um, we, the oh, I'm, I'm feeling the emotions come up already. Like, so I was 24 and at the time I had four properties and each of my um, properties were just being managed so, so bad. Um, I was having issues with all of them and it can really grind you down as an investor when you've got vacant properties and, you know, you've got tenants that are damaging things and I had tenants move out owing lots of money and rent and badly damaging that property as well. So I was really second guessing, you know, whether this is all worth it at that time and I had to continuously follow up with my property managers and find out what was happening and they took ages to get back to me and they were just useless. So I um, I asked to see the tenancy application of that one that had skipped town and damaged the place and Upon looking at it, like it's almost like the manager had never even screened it. Well, I could tell they should never have even been approved in the first place. And you have that, you want to have that trust, and you don't, you're paying for a service, and you don't want to have to manage your manager, as I like to say. Um, but oh, it was so frustrating. So I, I really didn't feel like I was getting the service I deserved, and they didn't care about my asset or my returns. So in the end, that was a big inspiration for me also in starting Investors Edge Real Estate. So um, what can come from a really dark period can be, you know, a really positive inspiration too. This story sparked the inspiration for Man's business but it is not finished yet. We were told uh, by the tenants that their son had died and they had to move out suddenly and they had lots of hospital bills and I felt absolutely horrible with the whole situation and I agreed to excuse them of what was owing and the bond was released to them. And while I was around doing all the fix-ups begrudgingly on the house and, you know, they'd really left it in a horrible state. So I was around on the weekends, you know, um, trying to save money because I wouldn't get it back from them and um, 
you know, I was talking to the next door neighbour who was the the gossip queen of the street, and you know, she she knew everything that was going on. So I told them about, you know, oh, how bad is it that the tenant's child's died? And and she was like, oh, that's news to me, but yeah, that's really bad, and you know, can't we, you know, can't both couldn't believe it had happened, and and we had that sort of moment. And then a few weeks later, I got a call from her um, telling me that the past tenants were actually back collecting some mail at the front mailbox and their son was alive and well and running around the front yard. So, God, like I really lost my faith in humanity as well for a while there and, you know, I was that made me question whether it's all worth it and question, you know, everything my property managers were doing to even have me, you know, place tenants in a property like that. So that was probably my worst, one of my worst times. In a future episode of Property Investory, Jared Mann will detail the strategy that he used to bounce back from that last story. She helped me see that there is this profit that is possible. Like she had grown a, a very decent portfolio and kind of just showed me, gave me hope again. We will learn about the resources that he uses. I looked at my Audible account the other day and I've read, <laughs> listened to 330 odd books. We will hear the saying that shifted his outlook on life. It was Albert Einstein that originally said it. And that's next time on Property Investory. If you love the show and you're a wholesale investor wanting to learn more about how I got started in alternative investments, where I've been able to use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns to fast track my passive income goal, then SMS me your name and email address on 04 88 88 31 32 to register your interest. Now, in a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve my goal and have tripled my passive income. To find out how, SMS me your name and email address on 04 88 88 31 32. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.